and uh, one of the pastors here. Hey, as we get started, though, uh, one thing, uh, as you well know, Friday, uh, the Supreme Court, uh, in its ruling of Dobbs versus Jackson, overturned uh, Roe v. Wade, a decision from 1973 that had legalized abortion on demand in our nation. And it's estimated that over those nearly 50 years, uh, approximately 62 million innocent lives have been exterminated in our country. Um, Just for perspective, that would be about 20% of the current population of the United States, so one in five people. Um, And so this is a really good thing uh, that this was overturned according to God's word and for his kingdom. It's a reminder of the sanctity of human life and that uh, God has given value, dignity, and worth to every human life, from conception to the grave for all eternity, uh, your value, dignity, and worth of every human being, not just yours, but every human being, every human life is of infinite value, eternal value to God. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 139, before you formed my inward parts, Lord, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them, and God reiterates the same to the prophet Jeremiah in the opening lines of his, uh, his book of prophecy, saying, before I formed you, Jeremiah, and before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I had plans for you. And, uh, you know, our third core value as a church is that all people matter. No matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, no matter your age, no matter your intellect or lack thereof, no matter uh, the ancestry or the ethnicity of your ancestors, no matter your political convictions, no matter the legality of your citizenship, you matter to God. And you matter to us because of that, because you bear God's image and you're loved. You have eternal value, dignity, significance, and purpose because of that. And and abortion is an awful evil. Uh, That's not new with our nation. It's been around for a long time. Uh, But it's one that we can be glad uh, to some degree is now to be held at bay because of this ruling. Um, However, it's important to remember abortion wasn't outlawed on Friday. Uh, It's still legal in many states, including Indiana. And... um, it was simply given back to individual states to make a decision on. Uh, In fact, it'll still be legal for most Americans. Um, For many, uh, access may even be increased in certain states uh, and um, incentivized even in some of those states. And so really what we have to do hasn't changed. We're still to love people, uh, help them know the truth of the gospel, and uh, by God's grace, let his spirit change hearts and minds and uh, that they would know the truth. As I mentioned in Indiana, uh, abortion is still legal within the first 20 weeks of pregnancy. Uh, over 7,500 abortions were performed uh, in 2020 in our state. And uh, we can pray that uh, maybe uh, it would be, uh, be put to an end even here in our own state. 
But uh, here's the deal. I guess here's, here's where I'm going. No matter what direction any of the political winds blow, no matter what decisions are made or not made, or what laws are passed in the future or not, not passed, it does not change who we are to be and what we're to be about and what we're to do. Uh, we're called in the same way to continue to love people in our actions and with truth. And all of it very, very graciously. Um, uh, so the ruling on Friday really presents churches like ours an opportunity to provide compassion and support and love uh, for women who are pregnant, uh, for their unborn children, for families in the communities we inhabit. And uh, as voices in our nation continue to elevate this and get louder and louder, um, we gotta listen to the Lord and his heart for the unborn, for women, for families, for, for really anyone who's experienced brokenness and especially those who've experienced the brokenness of abortion. Um, and not only should God's grace then inform uh, how we respond to the ruling that was passed, but, but also how we respond to others. And um, may we continue to, to love people. See, God has a role in this and that's to sort everything out in the end. And our role is simply to honor him and follow him and love people through the midst of it. And uh, when we try to follow God's, take on God's role is when everything gets messed up. And uh, in fact, the, the passage I chose this morning, uh, I chose in anticipation that a ruling may be coming around this weekend. And uh, it gives us some instruction of, Jesus does, of, of how to live in a world that's filled with people who, who don't follow him, who don't see things the way we do. And there's a right way and there's a wrong way to go about following the Lord. And uh, by God's grace, might we do it in the way that Jesus prescribes. Uh, one last thing, uh, I just wanna say again, I, I said this as well a few weeks ago when I made some similar comments. Um, hey, you know, in our church, a church of uh, four to 500 people, uh, I'm not ignorant to the fact that abortion has fect affected lives in our own church family. And uh, maybe for some of you watching online, and you need to know if that's you, you're loved, you're loved, you're welcome here. We care about you, we care deeply about you. And that uh, even uh, as you maybe struggle with uh, some of the effects of those decisions, whether having an abortion or being involved or pushing for one, whatever the case may be, uh, the Lord's grace is greater than our sin. And as we turn to him, he, he gives forgiveness, he brings restoration and just hear it again. You're loved, you are loved, and there's hope for you, amen? Hey, with that, let me pray, and then uh, we're gonna be in Matthew chapter 13 this morning, let me pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that we are loved, uh, not because of any good deeds done by us, but Jesus, because of your righteousness and because of your goodness. In fact, we don't deserve your love, but while we were your enemies, you died on the cross for us, proving it and showing it and uh, to offer reconciliation and redemption and, and true life to us. Father, uh, we pray about uh, all the things happening in our world and in our nation specifically. Um, we do thank you for the decision made Friday. We pray that uh, there might be uh, more good news along those lines. But Father, I pray for, for our church. I pray for your church across our nation that um, in response to this, we would, we would truly be salt and light. 
that we'd be your hands of love and of grace and of hope to people. Uh, many who, who see things much differently, who are hurting, who are angry. Um, Holy Spirit, let, let us honor the Lord Jesus well. And uh, Father, we, we pray your grace would be poured out in great measure across our country and, and people's hearts. Uh, we pray now, Holy Spirit, I, I pray you'd, you'd help me, guide me as I teach and preach your word and uh, help us to, to learn from your word and uh, grow because of it and, and live, li- live those things out like we just prayed. Father, thanks for Jesus. We pray all this through him. Amen. Well, uh, there's a woman who was working in her yard. She was actually helping her and her husband were, were getting their yard cared for. He was on the lawnmower and she grabbed the weed eater and was doing all the trimming. And all of a sudden as she's trimming, she, she rounds the corner and she's just going to town doing really good. When suddenly her cat kind of ran out and she cut off the cat's tail with the weed whacker. Well, you can imagine the panic and kind of the scream and she ran and found her husband and stopped him and got him off and said, he's like, what's wrong? Well, I I, I cut off the cat's tail. You gotta help me, what do we do? Um, And he was just very calm, shut off the mower, got off. He said, go grab the cat, wrap it up and we're going to Walmart. She said, what? Going to, she was just incredulous, just so angry. Uh, How could that possibly help? He replied, well, they're the world's largest retailer. (laughs) Oh, this morning we're gonna look at a parable of Jesus where he talks about weeds, but there's no weed whacker, there's no cat, there's no visit to Walmart. Um, In fact, in the metaphor Jesus uses in this parable, he would tell us, keep the weed whacker in the shed, lest you uh, maybe cause some harm you don't wanna cause. So if you got your Bible, open it with me to, uh, to Matthew chapter 13. And uh, we are in a series called Parables. We're looking at these short stories that Jesus told. Uh, we're doing this for the summer. And uh, a parable is simply a story that's intended to illustrate or to teach. And so Jesus tells these stories to illustrate and to teach truth. And uh, these stories do two things. Uh, they conceal truth from some who just wanna hear a good story but they reveal truth to others who really lean in and listen. Or as Jesus says, those who have ears, let them hear. And so my challenge to you again this morning is to be one who with ears, hears and listens and leans in and to whom God reveals truth by his spirit. So uh, we're gonna be in verse uh, 24 of chapter 13. And this morning, what we're gonna do is we're gonna kind of work through the whole parable and then we'll circle back and, and work through the outline that you have if you grabbed an, an outline on your way in. So let's start here in verse uh, 24. Jesus put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. Well, earlier in this chapter and a few weeks ago, we were there, we read another parable about uh, a guy who was sowing seed. And he was throwing seed and it landed among different soils and some was fruitful and grew to maturity and bore fruit and uh, many others, depending on the soil it it landed on, uh, produced nothing. And uh, there's a similar metaphor happening here. You know, Jesus told these stories to people so that uh, they could relate to it. He would tell them uh, stories that related to everyday things in their life. 
And for them, he's in Galilee while he's teaching these things. It's an agricultural community. And so these stories about farmers sowing seed would make a lot of sense to a lot of people. And uh, so he says the kingdom, it's like that. It's like a, a, a guy who's out sowing good seed in his field. And, and then he says in verse 25, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and he sowed weeds among the wheat. And then he went away. Now, in, in parables, uh, there's many things that correspond, right? Uh, there's, we're, we wanna look at some of the characters and say, okay, what does this represent? What's Jesus trying to teach me? I'm leaning in with ears to hear. Uh, but we can make the mistake of trying to connect the dots to every little detail in the story. Uh, look at the big picture. What are the main points? And in this case, we're gonna see Jesus actually interprets this one for us so it's easy for us to interpret. Uh, but the fact that the, the men were asleep and that uh, the enemy went away uh, probably really has no bearing on the story other than to add some color to the story Jesus is telling. It doesn't really necessarily correspond to anything spiritually. Uh, so you get to verse 26. So when the plants came up and they bore grain, uh, the weeds appeared also. Now, when the guy went in throwing the, the seeds of the weeds, um, as the weed, weeds and the wheat began to grow, it apparently was indistinguishable to most of them. And there's actually a plant called Darnell or bearded Darnell. It's a poisonous plant that looks an awful lot like wheat. And in fact, as it grows, you can't really tell the difference until it begins to bear fruit. And then the kernels look a little different. And then uh, when it's fully mature, the wheat stands upright and the darnel kind of flops over. And so it wasn't until the fruit was showing up on these plants, the grain, that they had any idea what was wheat and what was a weed. Um, so they came along, they bore grain and they appeared together. By the way, in Roman law, because the Romans would have uh, occupied Israel at this time, it was punishable by Roman law to sow darnel in someone's wheat field. You know what I mean? Because uh, think about it in terms of warfare. If you were gonna conquer another land, if you could conquer their food supply and sow a bunch of weeds in their fields and make it so they didn't have food, it would be a pretty good move from a war standpoint. But if you did that domestically, you could, you could spend years of your life in a Roman prison for doing that. So the plants came up, they bore grain, and then they figured out uh, which was weeds and which was wheat. And the servants of the master of the house, they came and they said to him, master, didn't you sow good seed? Uh, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Then, then why are there all these weeds? In other words, when, when, when all this kind of started, you know, wasn't everything good? So why is it all messed up now? Where, where'd all these weeds come from? You sowed good seed, didn't you? And uh, look at the man's reply. Uh, he said to them, well, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, well, do you want us to go gather them then? Now you can probably start to even draw some parallels in this passage, right? To where uh, they come to him and said, didn't you sow good seed? You know, when God created everything, he created it how? Good. And uh, then sometimes we read the first couple chapters of Genesis, but then we look around at our life and, and life around us and we go, I thought you sowed good seed. What's with 
What's with everything being so messed up and all the weeds and all the evil? And uh, one of the things we learn here is that, well, an, an enemy has done this. God uh, is still in full control. Has he allowed choice and evil? Yeah, he has in his own sovereignty, but he's not the ultimate, uh, he's not the cause of it. He, it. It's an enemy who's come in and sown these seeds. Do you see? It, it's the same in this story. So the servant said, well, then what should we do? do? Should we just go in and gather out all the weeds, just pluck them out? But notice what the man says. He says, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. See, if you start just pulling up all the weeds, you're gonna uproot a lot of good stuff too. I don't want you to do that. Um, See, what would happen in, one of the reasons Darnell especially was outlawed to be sown in in someone's field uh, is because then the roots would get intertangled with the wheat. And so if you tried to pull up one, you'd pull up both. And uh, we'll keep that thought in mind because we'll come back to that a little later. Instead, uh, the master says, no, let, let both grow until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first, bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. So when it's time for harvest, the sickle will be put to the field. And then after that, uh, gather up that, it'll be obvious to them that which is weeds and that which is wheat. But the wheat in the barn, put the weeds in the furnace. Well, uh, Jesus goes on uh, with, uh, with his teaching and he tells them another parable right after this. He put another parable before them saying the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. Another farming metaphor. It's the smallest of all seeds. Um, a mustard seed isn't the tiniest seed in the world, but it's a small seed. Jesus is just, he's making the point, this is a tiny seed. But when it's grown, it's larger than all the garden plants and it becomes a tree, like a giant bush, big enough that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. And then he's kind of on a roll. So he tells him another parable. He tells him this one. He said, uh, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Three measures of flour, by the way, by their measurement would have made about a hundred loaves of bread. So you can see Jesus is saying, uh, these two parables are pretty easy to interpret. You know, the the mustard seed, it's gonna grow into something big. It's gonna start small and become large. The leaven is just something tiny and it seems imperceptible, but the effect it has is way outweighs its beginnings. And we read that all these things, Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, specifically the prophet Isaiah, that he said the Messiah would open his mouth in parables, utter what's been hidden since the foundations of the world. It was predicted that the Messiah would speak in parables. So Jesus wraps up these, uh, these three parables and uh, we read that he left the crowds and he went into the house. Now again, the parable of the mustard seed is pretty easy to understand. You know, Our, our faith, Jesus uses another uh, illustration with the mustard seed of faith and how 
it can have a big impact. But this time he says the kingdom, it starts tiny uh, like a mustard seed, but, but its effects over time as it grows becomes huge. And some commentators would say, you know, the birds who come to rest in its branches is, is the benefit of the world we live in, of other nations, even of Gentiles, everybody coming and benefiting from the growth of God's kingdom on earth. It's common grace to all people. And then the leaven, that's, that's clear to understand, right? Just how, again, it starts small, but as it, as it grows, as it gets into the bread, into the flour, and it's baked, uh, it, the bread rises, and you start to see the effects of the kingdom over time. Even though it has a small beginning, it's gonna have a big finish. But this other one with the weeds and the wheat, the disciples know it. They say, uh, they come to him and they said, all right, we get the other two. Can you explain the weeds? What are you talking about? What, what's the parable of the weeds of the field? And this again, like the parable of the sower, which we saw a few weeks ago, is one of the few that Jesus specifically interprets. So uh, he begins answering them. He said, well, the one who sows the good seed, that's the son of man. In other words, he says, that's me. Um, see, the, the term son of man comes from the book of Daniel. It was a reference to the Messiah and of Jesus, and it's one of his favorite terms for himself. And uh, the field is the world. And the good seed, the sons of the kingdom, the weeds are the sons of the evil one. Now, um, I just want to point this out because this will be important in understanding it. The field is the world. It's not the church, it's not God's kingdom. The field in this metaphor is the world. Um, many times this passage has been taught and it's been taught in such a way that the field represents the church or it represents God's kingdom and there's weeds and there's true believers and non-true believers and there are within the visible church, but that's not the point Jesus is making here. He's talking about the whole world. The good seed is the sons of the kingdom. In other words, believers, the weeds are the sons of the evil one and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are angels. And then he interprets it. He says, just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The son of man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers. So uh, those who are evil and those who do evil, your translation might say, and he'll throw them into the fiery furnace. This parallels another passage in Matthew 24 where Jesus says there's two men walking up a hill and one is gathered away, gathered to judgment. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Weeping, in other words, there's gonna be great anguish. Gnashing of teeth, there's gonna be great regret for never having trusted Christ. And then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. That's a reference from Daniel 12, verse three as well, about the righteous shining like the sun. He who has ears, let him hear. Well, uh, again, uh, just before we dive into our outline this morning, and we'll work through that fairly quickly, but let's just pull up our scorecard. Pay attention to who's who in this parable so we can interpret it well, right? First off, the sower, Jesus tells us, so this one's easy, the sower is Jesus. The field, as I mentioned, is the world. The good seed, 
Jesus said, are sons of the kingdom. In other words, it's believers, those who've, who've put their faith and trust in Christ. True Christians, in other words. The weeds, on the other hand, are the children of the evil one. They're unbelievers. Um, Paul tells us that all of us were once children of wrath and sons of disobedience. That until we trusted Christ, that was, that was us. Um, and the enemy is the devil, it's Satan. Same enemy is from Genesis chapter three. The harvest will be the very end of the age when Jesus returns. The reapers, the harvesters are his angels, his messengers. Uh, the fiery furnace represents judgment for sin. <coughs> and then the barn represents his kingdom or heaven. Ultimately, do you see? And um, again, all of this parallels uh, really creation and God created everything good and then the enemy comes into the garden and he sows uh, seeds of lies that are weeds that end up flourishing and um, everything gets messed up. But God in his grace doesn't come and just uproot all evil in the moment, which he totally could have. Instead, knowing that there's still potential faith for people and, and grace for them to come to faith, he lets them, lets it grow lets it work itself out so that ultimately uh, he could still have a people for himself and that he would get great glory in rescuing us. But here's what I want you to see is that for now at least, in this world, until Jesus returns, until that very good day, the world's filled with weeds. It's filled with weeds. Have you noticed that? Something went wrong. God started all good, but everything seems to be pretty messed up these days. Um, and, and again, that's the work of the enemy. And while God could come and just pluck us out, which sometimes we think, man, that'd be great, wouldn't it? That's not his plan. He's actually sent us into the world. In fact, look at what Jesus prays the night before he was crucified. He's praying to the Father in the garden, and he says, now I'm, I'm coming to you. And these things I speak in the world so that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word. See, the understanding of, of what God's taught us and how he wants us to live and where true joy and true life can be found, God wrote it all down. He wrote it all down. It's in his word, he wrote a book. I, I've given them your word and, and the world has hated them because they're not of the world, just like I'm not of the world. Now, uh, one of the realities of following Christ is that uh, while life is better because you have hope and purpose, it is not always easier, especially as our world uh, strays farther and farther from some of the truths of the gospel. In fact, Jesus said, if you're gonna follow me, you can expect to be hated. You're gonna have some, you know, who are weeds who are just, they're, they're just kind of um, apathetic to the gospel. Oh yeah, you believe that? Cool, great, no problem. We can, we can live, and, and really, for the most part, most people are that way, but increasingly, more and more people are on the very hostile and antagonistic towards the faith and towards Christ. And if they're antagonistic towards him, they're also going to be the same way and hostile towards his people. And scripture is clear, friends, it doesn't just get better and better and better and better and better and then Jesus shows up. 
it gets worse and worse and worse and harder and harder. And then Jesus shows up making his return that much greater. So as these things increase and hostility and hatred towards the church and God's people increase, um, what do we do? Jesus prayed for us. He said, I, I, I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one. Jesus prayed for you and for me that night. They're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. He says and said, uh, don't take them out of the world, sanctify them in the truth, make them holy, help them uh, to live out who they truly are in the midst of a really broken world and to learn it from your word. Your word is truth. In fact, as you sent me into the world, so I've sent them into the world. See, God doesn't pull us out of the world. He sends us into it. His desire is for us to be in the world. We're, we're sent to love, to be, to be in the world, but not of it. To not be like the world, but to live in it and love people. Think about it. How was Jesus sent? For God so loved the world that, what did he do? He sent his only son because of his love, right? And in the same way we're sent, in the same way Jesus is. God, God leaves us here and he sends us into the world because of his love for the world. That world that's rejected him and is hostile towards him. He loves it. And he sent us then to be agents of that love to people. We're sent to love people. You know, uh, with the things that have happened in our nation over recent years and now even over the weekend, um, and likely there'll be more and more uh, hostility and riots and other things happening that we'll see. Um, what do you do with that? How is it that we can be sent to love in those circumstances? Well, uh, Jesus here in this parable, he gives us some some good instruction, I think, by telling us this parable of the weeds and the wheat. Uh, first off, maybe you'd be tempted just to avoid anyone who sees things differently. I'll confess, I'm tempted that way a lot of days. I'm just gonna avoid that conversation. I'm not gonna go there. I'm not gonna talk to them. Maybe somebody in your family, somebody who's a friend at work. But you know, uh, Jesus doesn't tell us to avoid. He sends us to love. Um, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're not to avoid people who don't follow the Lord. You're salt and light. What's, what's that mean? Well, I don't know about you, but I've never tasted salt that was still in the shaker. Have you? It's gotta get out. Light has never helped me when it's hidden under a basket. It has to shine something onto the path to know where I'm stepping and where I'm going. Well, in the same way as followers of Jesus, we're not to avoid people who don't know the Lord. We're not to isolate ourselves from the world. We're actually to infiltrate the world, to be out in the world and among people who don't know the Lord, to be yeast that spreads and has a great, has a great impact over time, to be a small mustard seed that slowly grows for the good of everyone around to come nest in the branches of the kingdom. But, you know, uh, we're tempted to avoid. And sadly, uh, God's people, a lot of times, rather than, than love throughout history, have done the exact opposite and we've avoided. 
You know, there's a group of, a uh, number of groups of, of people we read about in the New Testament that most of them arose uh, 150 years or so before Jesus was born in response to the Romans coming in and conquering Israel and uh, causing uh, just such an uproar culturally that suddenly the people who followed the Lord had to decide how they were gonna live. Well, there were some, the Sadducees, who just acquiesced to many things that were going on and they just said, eh, what are you gonna do? We're just gonna live with it, it'll be okay. That was one group. Painting with a broad brush here, by the way. The Pharisees, you know, kind of put up some rules and said, we can engage up to this point, but no farther. They, they really had a right perspective on things, except that once they established those lines, they started to put their trust in those lines. And so they made them farther out and farther out. And by the time Jesus comes along, they're trusting more in those lines and those rules than they were in following the Lord. There was a group who actually did this and avoided being connected to anyone, the Qumran community, the Essenes. And they pulled off into the desert by the Dead Sea and they just lived on their own in a bubble. But that's not what God calls us to do. In fact, let me show you from a little bit later, a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. If you got your Bible, you can flip forward a little ways to 1 Corinthians. Uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter five. Paul writes this, he says, I wrote to you in my letter. Now, This is 1 Corinthians, so it's the first copy of a letter we have Paul wrote to this church. But evidently, there's evidence that he wrote more letters prior to this, at least one more, which we don't have that have been lost to history, but he references here. And in that letter, uh, he told them, uh, he said, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Well, Josh, there it is. Avoid them. Don't be around people who are sinners who are of the world, who are idolaters, who are swindlers, who are are cheats, right? Isn't that what it says? Well, I'm guessing when people read this, Paul knew that's how they were gonna take it because look at what he says. Uh, I'm not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, the weeds in the field, or the greedy and swindlers or the idolaters, since if you were to avoid them, you would need to go out of the world. You can't be alive and not be among people who are sinful and even hostile towards the gospel. In fact, we all once were, weren't we? We all were. He's saying, I'm not telling you just to avoid having any contact with people who don't know the Lord, you know, and live in your Christian bubble and only, only, you know, have people come over to the house who've got a little fish on their business card and things like that. No, you need to be salt and light and love people. Now, that doesn't mean you don't um, identify sin and avoid it, that we don't cooperate with things that are sinful, we don't do sin. In fact, scripture is clear, we're to run from sin. But we're not called to run from sinners. There's a big difference. This includes evildoers, those who are antagonistic to the gospel, even hostile toward us, not to avoid him. We're also not, um, or, or sorry, let me continue here. I didn't, didn't finish what Paul had written. Uh, he goes on, he says, but I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of a brother if he's guilty of these things. Don't even eat with them. Uh, Paul says, um, 
don't avoid people outside of the church who are sinners. Uh, instead, call out sin among you, be pure, and if someone won't repent, then don't associate with them. Why? To be mean and judgmental? No, so that they would miss that and, and come back in repentance to the Lord Jesus. We're not to judge those who are outside. Paul even says, what, what business do I have judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you're to judge? And by saying that, meaning, hey, if, if you see somebody caught in sin or maybe they're blind to something, gently come along and help them see the truth. Love them so that they could grow in such a way that they honor the Lord. And if they refuse to repent, then begin to push them off so that they might repent. God judges those on the outside. That's his job. That's God's job. And when the church tries to do God's job and not their own job, everything gets messed up. Uh, one of the things that's God's job is, or, or excuse me, not our job, is not to attack. Um, not to attack. You know, our culture has a lot of really wacky ideas. Have you noticed? For instance, um, all paths lead to the same place. All paths lead to heaven, right? No matter what religion. Can I just tell you, that's just, that's foolish and kind of dumb. Um, because think about it, where else in life does every path lead to the same place? So why would that make sense spiritually? It doesn't. Uh, our culture has, has other things, you know, that, um, well, uh, just do what's right for you. There's no real right and wrong. Um, but that can be pretty dangerous too when we start to believe those things. And so when we say don't attack, we're not saying don't make a judgment of what's right and wrong. We're actually called to do that, to say, um, this is sin, this is wrong. I, I can't go that direction because I wanna follow the Lord. I, I have to turn from doing that because I did that and all the things that were promised to me it was actually the opposite and it hurt me. And so I'm making a judgment, I'm identifying sin, I'm making a judgment and I'm going the other way. That's repentance, right? Now, uh, so when I'm saying we're not to attack, I'm not saying don't make a judgment, I'm saying don't render judgment. Don't render judgment. Uh, in other words, don't, don't be God sifting the weeds and the wheat and saying, oh, I'm gonna punish you then because of your sin and somebody especially who's outside the household of faith. Do you see what I'm saying? There's a difference there. Judge things, see them rightly, but don't render judgment on people. We're sent to love them. Uh, as we just saw, God is the one who will judge those on the outside. That's his job. He sent us simply to love them. Not to be ignorant and not you know, ignore the fact when maybe there's danger or things that we would step in or that would be harmful to us. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying we're not, we're not sent to avoid, we're not sent to attack. And I mean, let's think again back to the decision made Friday. If I'm attacking, then you know what I'm doing? I'm, I'm posting celebratory snarky comments on social media. That's not helpful. That doesn't love people. Maybe you have something you need to delete, I don't know. 
but, but love people. Render judgment, and, and, or don't render judgment, make a judgment, uh, let God render judgment, and, and then engage with people in the way that God calls us to. Uh, one pastor out in California, his name is Larry Osborne, part of a free church. He likes to say this, that you know, there's some Christians who did, they've just appointed themselves as uh, Rottweilers for Jesus. You know, they're just out looking for, for something to attack, thinking that I've got to protect culture, I've got to protect baby, little innocent baby Jesus in the manger. And they forget that he's actually King Jesus. He's the God and creator of the universe. And he doesn't need Rottweilers to protect him. He needs sons and daughters to live in a way that honors him and that follow him and represent him well to a world that desperately needs him and that he deeply loves. In fact, Paul, uh, if you flip a little farther to the right in your Bible, uh, you'll come to a letter that he wrote to Timothy uh, where he writes this uh, about how to interact then with people. Maybe they're just apathetic, but maybe they're totally hostile and antagonistic towards the gospel. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to who? Everyone. Everyone, and that means everyone including the people who aren't kind to me. Jesus says, if you're, you're hit across the face on one side, what do you do? Turn the other cheek. We're sent to love, friends. And to love means I can't avoid, I have to engage. And uh, when, when I'm attacked, I can't attack back. That's God's job. That's for him to render judgment. And instead, you know what we're to do as we live in a world full of weeds? Keep planting wheat. Just plant more wheat. See, what's incredible is uh, spiritually, uh, God in his power, through the power of the gospel, can actually take a weed and transform it into wheat. And the reality is all of us began life as a weed. And if, you fo- if you're a follower of Jesus now, it's only by his grace that you've been transformed. And so rather than, than go and uproot all the evil, again, do what's right, combat evil, you know, those sorts of, but you see the difference? Make a judgment, don't render it. Love people and, and maybe in the hope that, who knows, just imagine, what if somebody had come to you while you were still a weed from the church and they had rendered so much judgment on you and plucked up all the evil around you that they plucked you up before your faith could ever truly develop. That's why Jesus says, let them grow together do what's right, honor me, love people. But don't render judgment on people. That's, that's God's job. That's his job. Um, and it, it'll start small. It'll start small. It'll start like a mustard seed that will grow. Feel like maybe you're making no difference. Right? God's word doesn't come back void and he produces the fruit that he wants to produce as we're faithful to him. So it might be like a small mustard seed. It might be like a little bit of yeast, but over time, God will use that to grow it. And so all we're to do is keep planting wheat and then wait for the harvest. And the harvest, by the way, is God's job, not our job. That's his job. He's the one who will separate everybody out in the end. I'm really glad I don't have that job. 
that would be incredibly hard to do. And I'm glad I don't have to do that job now. That means I can just, just love everybody. Teach them the truth, tell them the gospel, encourage them to repent, but ultimately it's on God in the end. See, it's his job to both bring judgment and to restore his people. The prophet Hosea, God said through him, for you also Judah, a harvest is appointed when I will restore the fortunes of my people. There's good coming in the end, even when things seem chaotic now, God will sort it out. But really in reference to this parable, corresponding to it, Revelation 14 says this, then I looked and behold, there was a white cloud, John writes, and seated on the cloud was one like a son of man. Who did we see and who did Jesus say the sower was in our parable? The son of man, which is who? Him, yeah. So this is Jesus. He has a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And then another angel came out of the temple calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, put in your sickle and reap for the hour to reap has come for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth and the earth was reaped. Friends, there's, there's coming a day where the hour of Jesus' grace for you to repent and become wheat ends and the sickle will be put in the field and uh, then there'll be a division between those who are the weeds and those who are the wheat. Those who've continued to follow the evil one and those who've repented to follow the Lord Jesus. And that job belongs to Jesus. He's the one who makes that judgment. And while uh, your efforts now in this life have a small start, they'll, they'll have a big finish. They'll have a big finish when, when Jesus returns. And uh, uh, John also writes in Revelation 20, I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it from his presence, the earth and the sky fled. There was no place found for them. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. The books were opened. Another book was opened, the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books. And he goes on and says that death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, into the fiery furnace, and those whose names weren't found in the book of life were also thrown into the fire to be judged. But here's the good news, one last time. Even if you're a weed, you can become wheat. You can be changed and transformed. And it's not because of your goodness, it's because of Jesus' goodness. And your name can be written in the book of life so that when the sickle is put into the field and everyone is gathered, you'll be found to be one who belongs in the barn and not in the furnace. All because of what Jesus has done for you if you'd simply believe and trust him.